grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text is today's Gospel. I read again verse 33. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Heavenly Father, grant to us the spirit of forgiveness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, after the deposed East German leader Erich Honecker and his wife, Margot, were released from prison in January of 1990, the authorities couldn't find accommodation for them. No one would take them in. Eventually, it was a 61-year-old Protestant pastor, Uwe Holmer, and his wife who took them into their home. Their ten children had been refused higher education by Mrs. Honecker, who had been Minister for Education. Pastor Holmer described his action as one of Christian charity and forgiveness. Not everyone was as charitable. During the ten weeks that Pastor Holmer and his wife gave refuge to the Honeckers, he received 2,000 letters, about half of which criticised him for his act of hospitality. He also received two bomb threats. However, he knew that a forgiving spirit is essential if life is to go on. He called for reconciliation among East Germans. In view of the fact that the former security police had employed millions of informants, people should learn to forgive and look each other openly in the eye, he said. It's important to have a forgiving spirit towards one's atheist enemies. How much more important then, isn't it, to be able to forgive the fellow believer? In our Gospel, Peter's question was, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? He thought that seven times was an appropriate amount. Since the creation week lasted seven days, in the Bible, seven is the number of completeness. But Jesus replied that our forgiveness for the fellow believer is to be repeated 77 times, or it could be translated 70 times seven. Either way, the meaning is that our forgiveness is to be unlimited. God offers us unlimited forgiveness. In Psalm 32, King David tells how when he didn't confess his sins to the Lord, he, for, he suffered for it. His body wasted away through his groaning all day long. But when he no longer tried to cover up his sins, he received forgiveness and experienced the Lord's help and protection from trouble. God's word gives all of us the assurance that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. Our Heavenly Father is like the King in our Lord's parable who is owed an immense amount of money, 10,000 talents. A talent was worth around 20 years' wages for a labourer and this slave owed his king 10,000 in other words, a working man's wages for 200,000 years. The slave's situation was hopeless. He was grasping for straws when he said, be patient with me and I will repay you everything. Like the debts of the so-called underdeveloped nations, 
debts that only get larger and larger, this man's debt could never be paid. The only alternative to losing everything was to have the debt cancelled. And that's just what the merciful king did. He forgave the entire debt and let his slave go free. Our sins against God are immense. What might seem like a small sin to us, such as envy or a complaining spirit, is an act of defiance against God and his goodness. Yet even small sins spring from a sinful nature that deserves God's judgment. God's word warns against his judgment on both the sinful nature and on the sins we do so that we repent. The literal letter of Jude, for example, has big and weighty things to say about sins that are done in the church. It tells about godless people who slipped into the church and used God's grace as an excuse for promiscuity. The attitude of such godless people is rampant in the church today, including our own. It was a problem in Luther's day. In his later lectures on Galatians, Luther warned about those who used their Christian freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. He said, They all boast of being evangelicals and boast of Christian freedom. Meanwhile, however, they give in to their desire and turn to greed, sexual desire, pride, envy, and so on. No one performs his duty faithfully. No one serves another by love. He didn't only take a swipe at others. He included himself with words like these. We ourselves who teach the word do not perform our own duty with as much care and zeal here in the light of truth as we used to in the darkness of ignorance. The more certain we are about the freedom granted to us by Christ, the more unresponsive and slothful we are in presenting the word, <coughs> praying, doing good works, enduring evil and the like. The letter of Jude describes those who use God's grace as an excuse for promiscuity as clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. These and other warnings of coming judgment remind us of the seriousness of going on one's own track, the wrong path. They're like the set settling of accounts in the parable. They're like the king ordering us to be sold along with all that we have and payment to be made. The parable, however, assures us that God can pardon even the greatest debt. When we own up to our unworthiness and throw ourselves on his mercy, he cancels our debt no matter how large. When we plead with him for the sake of our Lord Jesus to forgive us, he sets us free. That's because our Lord Jesus, as we sang just before, he's paid for our debt by his cross. He took the sin of the world on himself and died a shameful death in our place. The most exalted Lord became the lowest and least so that we might be freed from God's judgment on sin. God, who for Jesus' sake forgives our huge debt against him, wants us to forgive, even to forget, the much smaller debt that others owe us. Certainly it hurts when people ignore you 
or say things about you to others and you get to hear of it. It hurts when people take advantage of you. It hurts doubly when this is done by church members. Yet such sins are small compared with our sins against God. In the parable, the first slave owed the king something like $24 billion. The amount that the second slave owed the first one is something like $20,000. Since God generously cancels the huge debt we owe him, he expects us to cancel the much smaller debts that others owe us. In the wording of the Our Father in St. Matthew's Gospel, our Lord has us pray, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. As this parable clearly teaches, God doesn't forgive us what we owe him only when we firstly forgive others what they owe us. He forgives us first, freely, for Jesus' sake. Yet having received his forgiveness, we're also to forgive our brother and our sister from the heart. So as we pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, we'll very likely also need to pray, Lord, enable me to forgive those who have sinned against me. Enable me to love so-and-so despite what's come between us. Yet while by God's grace we might have the will to forgive those who have sinned against us, there's a problem in that our emotions don't so easily let go. The memory of something said or done against us will very likely keep flooding back. So it's often said, I can forgive, but I can't forget. But if we're to forgive, then the bone of contention must be put out of our minds. There needs to be a new start. If memories of past wrongs resurface, they'll keep festering, they'll weigh us down. If we can't forget, we'll need to ask God to enable us to forget. For what's impossible with us is possible with him. This is especially important in marriage. On Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip's golden wedding anniversary, Prince Philip said in his speech, Tolerance is the one essential ingredient for any happy marriage. You can take it from me that the Queen has the quality of tolerance in abundance. Tolerance, of course, can mean anything goes. Being forgiving is more demanding. If you forgive, it means you cancel the debt someone owes you. You know and uphold what's right and good, yet you also set free the person who has transgressed that standard against you. Where there's willingness to forgive, there'll still be disagreements and disputes, but they'll be gone with the passing day. Thank God that when he forgives our sins, he doesn't keep a long list of them. The psalm for today says, As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Get on a plane of Adelaide Airport that's travelling in a westerly direction, and you'll always be travelling west, never east. The Lord who removes our transgressions from us, removes them forever. In the book of Jeremiah, he says about the New Covenant or New Testament, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. To forgive means to forget. We also need to show that we're willing to forgive the brother or sister even before they ask for forgiveness. To love other people 
means to have a forgiving spirit. Our Lord showed such willingness to forgive when he prayed for his executioners, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. The first Christian martyr, Stephen, prayed the same for his fellow Jews as he was being stoned to death for preaching about Christ. He said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Forgiveness that's so needed in our day is possible because of God's love for us shown in his Son. Along with baptism, his baptism of us, he lavishes that love on us by way of his holy word that repeatedly declares us forgiven. And by the body and blood of Jesus, given into death for our sins, raised from the dead and placed into our mouths in the Holy Supper. Together with the water of holy baptism and with his holy word and supper, God gives us his Holy Spirit so that we believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. He empowers us to forgive one another from the heart as he generously forgives us. Amen. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.